Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this edition... How the mighty Juve have fallen down this Serie A table by 15 points in a week. Also, why the Bundesliga is scoring more goals per match than any other top league in Europe. And while the usual suspects are top of La Liga, as you'd expect, what about the drama at the other end of the league? I'm so glad you're here, Nicky, because we've been wondering about this Juve thing. You've been talking about it for ages. We knew that they were going to be punished in some way or other for their financial dealings. And here it is, 15-point deduction. Um, how's that gone down in Italy? Well, you say we knew they were going to be punished, Dotton, but I, I, I don't know if we did know they were going to be punished. We knew there was a chance. And, and I would go as far as to say nobody knew they were going to be punished like this because even within the context of, 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 of the sporting trial that just took place last week, which had the verdict passed down on Friday... The prosecutor, the the Italian Football Federation's prosecutor who was bringing charges against them, asked for a nine-point deduction. So the the final decision exceeded what was asked for even by the prosecutor. And um, we're in this slight sort of mystery zone period right now, honestly, because the, the full verdict has to be published within 10 days of them releasing that judgment. And as of recording right now, it hasn't happened yet. We're recording, I suppose six days after that verdict was passed. We've still got four more days to wait. And so even now, as I talk to you, um, there's still so much around this case that's sort of speculative because, yes, we know things that the prosecutor argued. We know some of the evidence that was brought against Juventus. We know the outline of of what they're said to have done wrong, which, of course, always going to be worth stating in this case, Juventus do deny all charges and, and, and say they haven't done anything wrong. Um. But the actual full details of of what they have been officially punished for, we don't know yet. Do we know why um, they were brought into court in the first place? What's the background to this story? Yeah, and this is where it gets wordy. So essentially, this all goes back to a a case that in Italy has been referred to as the Pusvalenza case. Pusvalenza means capital gains. And it's all about clubs, um, not just Juventus in the first instance, who were were charged on it. using creative financial mechanisms to inflate their accounts. And the most sort of core part of this is teams swapping players, doing exchange deals and placing artificially high values, or at least what look like artificially high values on their players. So So I I guess the most obvious one of those would be Artur Melo coming from Barcelona for, what, 70 million euros, Miralem Pjanic going for 60 in the opposite direction. Very little money actually changing hands, but Juventus, for example, being able to have that 71, 72 million euros spread over like five years of Artur's contract, so it doesn't put too much on FFP, and yet being able to bank, in inverted commas, all the Pjanic money straight right. away. Yeah, and I, and I feel like this is an era in which we've expected football fans to become accountants and to understand this concept yes. of amortisation, which is what you just sort of hinted mm. at, at there, Andy. When you sign a player now, and every football club does this. This is not unique to Juventus. This is completely common practice. In fact, it's now becoming a talking point again for Chelsea because of the Mudrick deal and, and mm. FIFA saying, well, actually, maybe you can't do it over a contract that long. But it's standard practice too. If you sign a player for 70 million uh, euros, as we say in this case, um, and their contract is five years, instead of putting on your accounts this year, we spent 70 million euros, you divide the 70 million by five and that's how much you put down for this year. And then you put the same amount next year and so on until the end mm-hmm. of the contract. 
However, when you sell a player, you put that revenue on right away. So in the Mellow Pianich exchange is a good example. Um, Juventus get to write in what they've made selling Pianich right away, whereas the cost of Mellow is spread over five years. So on this year's accounts, that's a profit, even if it's a completely sort of no money changing hands deal, that's a profit on the accounts. So that mechanism is is common and and used everywhere. And in the initial Pus Valenza case, um, 11 clubs in Italy were, were charged and accused of essentially putting false values on players in these transfers. And in the initial case last year, the Italian Football Federation had a hearing, looked at it and said, sort of threw their arms up and said, okay, sure, but who can say how much a player is worth? Because football transfers are completely sort of beauty in, in the eye of the polder. All the time you get players who cost a lot of money who don't work out, you can't put an objective value on a player. So they threw the case out. Then separate to this, there's been an investigation in Turin um, called the Prisma investigation, um, which is uh, the Turin public prosecutor, nothing to do with football, investigating Juventus accounts because effectively they've been accused of, of misleading the stock market. Um, not effectively, that is what they've been accused of, is misleading the stock and market. And that's a different jurisdiction now because is, you're going beyond footballing right. authorities. Yeah, This is a criminal investigation. Um, and... and Misleading the stock market is, you know, a big case that may draw in some of this, um, this Plus Valenza stuff. That the bigger element for them was actually about a wage deferral, which is Juventus, uh, sort of very publicly during the COVID pandemic said their players had agreed to give up four months worth of wages because the club's financial situation needed it, and then the accusation against them, and this is a court case that will begin in March, is that actually the players did not give up that much wages because it was paid back to them in bonuses, which were guaranteed bonuses so it was sort of said to them look you give up four months wages but either you get this loyalty bonus for staying or you get this golden handshake for leaving and so you're getting this money back not all of it but maybe three months worth of it do you mind me just cutting to the chase how much do they owe cristiano ronaldo (laughs) well cristiano ronaldo is a fascinating sort of subplot in all this because his i'll I'll get to in just a second i feel like i need to keep going with the prism of it first so Prisma investigation by the Turin public prosecutor found all sorts of interesting things. They conducted wiretaps, they conducted interceptions of communications and among their findings were various things that related to the capital gains case, the the Plus Valenza case. But they also, in the the wages case, have turned up all sorts of interesting documents, including this apparent side letter, um, which is sort of players, several players, are accused of signing. I mean, this is all to go to an official court case, so I feel like I have to keep everything in the terms of allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but there is apparently this this side letter, which a number of players have signed, which allegedly basically says, yes, we understand we're getting our money back, um, or at least some of it. Not the full four months, but some of this money's coming back to us. But not all players signed it. And Ronaldo is among the players who didn't sign it. Um, so is Kulisevsky, by the way, apparently. And um, this actually has real implications for the players because now one of the many threads that's come out of this is there is a a risk that players who agreed to this mechanism could serve suspensions themselves they could be banned from football for a while because you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to participate in this sort of um i I suppose what what looks like a a, almost like a a charade of saying we're going to give up wages and not doing it so ronaldo's um lawyers actually have sort of asked to see some of this documentation they've said this is interesting stuff we'd like to see this because we didn't get this money back um and it was everyone else getting this money back so that's a whole separate side case going on um and i'm sure no one is going to cry for ronaldo and his money but um that you named ronaldo and there's a whole separate story with ronaldo i suppose there's so many probables and possibles with this and uh, we'll we'll try and avoid speculation as as much as possible but what does it do for Serie A at the moment where we are? Mm. Because clearly Napoli is streaking away at the top of the table. And I think we might mention Napoli again in a in a, in a minute. Mm. But um, Juventus were looking good, if not to push them on the back of the 5-1 defeat recently, certainly for a, a Champions League place, which would have been a minimum for them. Now, all of a sudden, they're catapulted into mid-table. I mean, there was this kind of air of defiance, wasn't there, in Turin around the game on Sunday. It was a really entertaining 3-3 draw with Atalanta and Adam Ola-Lukman was brilliant again in that, yeah. wasn't he? 11 goals this season. Um, but what what is the feeling? Because Allegri has kind of changed his language, hasn't he? He said, well, nothing changes. We carry on. 
was still going for Europe. I noticed he said Europe, not Champions League. Yeah. Mm. Who immediately, assuming things stay like they are, and that's a big assumption for the moment, but we can only judge things on how they are right now. Who benefits from this? Is it is it Roma? Is it Lazio? Yeah, so so yeah, just to sort of clarify that, I suppose 15 points have been given right now as points penalty, which they are going to appeal. But for right now in the standings, it's dropped them all the way down into to mid-table. And it's certainly thrown the, the Champions League race, as it looks right now, into um, something hugely fascinating, actually coupled with the fact that both Milan clubs suddenly seem to have lost their way because both yeah. of them lost in the last, um, not even over the weekend because they spilled into this week, but in the last few days. Um and so, yeah, you have within a very small number of points, you have everyone from Milan and and Inter down to Roma, Lazio and now Atlanta as well. So the Champions League race has become extremely interesting. Um, Max Allegri, the Juventus manager, is sort of famous in Italy for um, his points calculations. One of his sort of his tropes almost is he's always like, oh, well, you need this number of points. And he was saying, after the Atlanta game, well, you know, 70 points will get you into the Champions League. So actually he did talk about the Champions League and we can still get there, but you have to go on this sort of run and and they have gone on runs before. And what was fascinating about the game against Atlanta, Andy, is, you know, it was probably the most open attacking game of football that I've seen Juventus play all season. Yeah. Um, perhaps forced on them because that's how Atlanta play and Atlanta have a way of, of turning games to their sorts of games. And because Atlanta scored first. So did it not feel a product of the situation? But but that's what I was going to say is I, I, I almost felt like with their backs to the wall, we saw the best Juventus we've seen all season. Maybe right. maybe they still had flaws because they ironic. conceded goals. Yeah. But but they going forward, they were brilliant at times in this game. I mean, Di Maria, I think probably for the first time this season, it felt like he was really present because before the World Cup, he was injured a lot. But with hindsight, you definitely think how much was he also managing those injuries with mm. a big eye on I want to go to, to Qatar as, as best I can. But he was he was really sort of um, wonderful going forward. Arkadiusz Milik is having quietly a very good season for them. Scores a, a superb volley. Um, you've obviously got Federico Chiesa coming back from injury. He's already been playing. But th- there was there was this sort of really thrilling energy about watching them play. And even the, the, the last equalise they got, where it's uh, Di Maria feigning the free kick and then rolling it under his boot for, for Danilo. And Danilo's been one of their stars of the season, hasn't he? Yeah, and he and he does his daisy cutter under the wall. I, I thought all of their goals were just brilliant. Um, and in the end, it still didn't get them three points because, as you said, Atalanta and Adam Lookman have also been brilliant. Well, as Andy said a moment ago, you know, this whole court case and the deduction of the points is like lobbing a grenade. You didn't quite say it in those words, but yeah. you've lobbed a grenade into Serie A and there are consequences. Lovable Scamp on Instagram has sent us a message which is that with Juve out of the equation now, who in Serie A gets Champions League? Can Roma do it? Is... If, there, if there's a point that you're going to be convinced by Roma, I think this is possibly it. Mm. Because to me, at the moment, they're playing like a good Mourinho team. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. They manage games well. They suck the joy out of games quite well. Um they knock the goals off when they need to, but you get the sense they're playing a little bit within themselves. Now, I feel they're defending very, very well collectively at the moment. I think the win at Spezia at the weekend, which was a really difficult game, Spezia hadn't lost. Um, that Spezia were at home. They hadn't lost since uh, the resumption of, of, of Serie A. Um, they made it tough for Roma at times. Roma managed it expertly. They defended really well. Rui Patricio didn't really have to make that many saves, even mm. though they were under the pump at, at various points. The only caveat I have to that, Nikki, is the reason they're able to actually win those games rather than draw them at the moment is the ultimate footballing, European footballing bromance at the moment between Tammy Abraham and Paolo Dybala, who are really clicking. And them clicking and Abraham playing well again, not just scoring, but playing well again, elevating them to a different level. So for me, it feels like, yeah, they could finish in the top four, but a hell of a lot depends on where Dybala is physically. Yeah, I find Roma fascinating because I've also sort of heard people ask me, oh, aren't people in Rome sick of Mourinho yet? And the truth is Roma fans adore him still, absolutely. Look at those full stands. Yeah, can do no wrong, exactly. That's a really um, uh, sort of um, relevant part of it, I think, Andy, like that they're, they're selling out all the time, which they didn't do for a long time. And, um, and actually, 
even before this sort of start of the year, which has gone positively. If you dig into the data, their expected goals for and against, they they had sort of the biggest negative gap between where they should be and where they were. Like they had good expected goals, good expected goals against, and they hadn't quite hit it. And part of that, I'm sorry to say, was actually because Tammy Abraham started the season in bad form. Tammy mm. Abraham, who was really sort of prolific last season, wasn't scoring at the start of the season. And I think you're exactly right that when Dybala's on the pitch with him, the energy changes. And you've got two players who, look, I, I'm always the first person to defend Serie A. I'm always the first person to talk it up. But but Serie A has overall certainly that the standard isn't where it was in the 90s. You can say that. And and they are two of the standout players in terms of individual quality, I think. They're two players who at least can stand out. And Dybala has been the league's most valuable player before. And so when you get two really top-notch players vibing with each other and enjoying each other, mm. it, it becomes really transformative. Now, the problem with that is, what it's always been for Dybala, he's injured a lot. And so will he be healthy till the end of the season? Who knows? And to sort of re-emphasize, I suppose, where we started this conversation and the potential for ripple effects, could even he be drawn into that case with um, the the wage issue? Because he was at Juventus at the time when that happened. His uh, name has been mentioned as one of those, and in theory, yeah. could be at risk of a suspension. Now, again, of course, that case of the wages hits the legal system at the end of March. So we're talking late in the season, but who knows? And one of the many, many unknowables for us at the moment with this case. Yeah, 20 players, apparently, uh, could be dragged into this. How do you sing happy birthday in, in Italian? So normally it's tanti auguri, which is um, actually sort of best wishes, I guess, rather than happy birthday, but that's the standard. Happy C- can we song. do it to our tune? Tandu, sorry, yeah, tandu. Tanti auguri a te, tanti auguri a te. Who are we sing it to? Oh, Jose come on. Marino. Tanti auguri, caro Jose. Tanti auguri a te. Yeah, happy 60th birthday to Jose. This other question, though. Is it going to get worse for Juve? Ask Sepusin on Instagram. And I had to say Juve because I couldn't <laughs> pronounce Sepusin. <laughs> <laughs> is it going to get worse for them? Um, I think this wage case is a big one. Of course, you know, if they are found to have misled the stock market, that has sort of real world outside of football implications with, with criminal charges. Um, obviously the whole board has changed so individuals um, may already have left the club who get punished but the club will certainly face further sporting penalties if that case is proven Uh, there's been suggestions in the press of oh it could be another 15 point penalty and I think honestly that's where we're dipping a bit too far into conjecture because nobody expected this 15 point penalty who knows what penalty that could be but there certainly would be sporting ramifications for them um, if that happens it's also worth saying again as I said at the beginning they deny the charges they're appealing them to the Italian Olympic Committee. The Italian Olympic Committee does not have the power to look at the merits of the case, but they do have the power to look at the process. And therefore, if the Italian Olympic Committee upholds their appeal, which... Italian of, Olympic Committee? That's a stand, I know it sounds odd, but that's the standard sort of highest body of sort of sporting authority in Italy. Um, they have a board of guarantors. And if they find that the Italian Football Federation didn't follow due process and Juventus will argue, among other things, that this is double jeopardy. We've already been tried on this case. You can't try us twice. If they win that argument, that case, that the 15-point penalty they have now could be vacated. So anything could happen in this case, honestly. Um, but certainly Juventus have a lot more scary dates coming up in the in the calendar. So, so without talking too much about the potential ripple effect, you know, th- th- there is. If if there are swap deals, you know, and it, this, this could mm. um, move across Europe, couldn't it? Because, you know, we're, we're talking about transactions between two compliant clubs. That, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. The thing that really interests me is one of the cases that was examined in the original proceedings that were shelved last April. Um, and he's one of the most high-profile players in Serie A, playing for the league leaders, the top scorer, Victor Ozimen, who ended up going from Lille to Napoli for, what, 50-plus million cash, plus some players of... If we're talking of Plus Valenza, I mean, this seems to be one of the clearest examples of it. David talked about it on the Ramble earlier in the week. Where are we at with this? Would the FIGC and their prosecutor like to look at this again? Yeah, so the, the prosecutor, Giuseppe Kine, has has actually, in the last few days, asked for information from the public prosecutor in Naples from, again, a separate, completely separate um, uh criminal proceeding, which was uh, a fraud investigation into the um, Napoli president, Aurelio De Laurentiis. Right. So they've, they've asked for evidence 
if there's a basically they've, they've contacted the Naples prosecutor and said, is there anything that we should be looking at? And I, I think this this cuts to a really sort of fascinating part of the Juventus case that we're all waiting on with this verdict. What is it that's specific in this Juventus finding that the Italian Football Federation have punished them for? We can all we've all heard the arguments that they've um these wiretaps sound damning. We've heard directors saying things about oh all the, all the shit that's underneath in our finances saying we've pushed this mechanism too far. We've heard things that sound damning. But what specifically has the Football Federation laid down as its basis for this judgment? Because a lot of the reporting around this case, certainly Gazette della Sport, um, that the morning after was talking about, well, actually, you know, what Juventus did wrong here was, it's not they did something that no one else is doing, but they made it into a whole system. And that raises this sort of awkward question of, well, how do you lay that down in law? You know, to, to draw an extreme, slightly sort of ridiculous parallel, but I think maybe an illustrative one is, is it okay to kill one person as long as you don't kill 10 people? That's that's the question we're all asking. And this Osman case looks very questionable because four players went to Lille who are not players, but most most never even played for Lille. The, well, we, could, we, we, talk, we talked about it earlier, didn't, didn't we, off mic? And yeah. we, we could only think of one of them, couldn't we? Yeah, and, and Karnesis played maybe once for Lille. He yeah. barely played. Um, older goalkeeper. So 20 million in value seems um, ridiculous. But then we're back to... At the very start of this conversation, the first appeal, the first charges that were brought in Italy in the Puz Valenza case, you can't set an objective value on a footballer. People will pay what they want. So on what basis were the Juventus prosecuted successfully? And could that be a basis for someone else you prosecuted? That's what we're waiting to find out. Look, clearly, we're going to hear more about this. It ain't done yet. We're hearing about all sorts of issues with regards to Chelsea now and the way that they... Uh, offer contracts over a longer period to, so as to not pile all the sort of expense on one season. Um, it does feel as if European football is going to feel the impact of what's going on in Italy. I, I think it's it's such a fascinating big question of what could happen. I mean, I, I do think at the moment with what we know so far, if there is one thing that Juventus are justified to feel in all of this, it's, I mean, any of these deals take two to tango. You cannot yeah. You cannot do this on your own. So um, have other clubs been doing things that are similar? Yes. What could be sort of interpreted as precedent by other countries, by UEFA, by FIFA? Huge open questions with implications for lots of clubs all over Europe. Yeah, I mean, look, I never want to assume what our listeners are thinking, but I know a lot of them will be thinking Barcelona at this very moment because clearly they have had to be creative in... um, allowing themselves the latitude to sign a lot of players in the last year and a bit since uh, Xabi has become coach. Again, I I don't think they're alone in that by any stretch of the imagination. But I think because football is is such a a pan-European community in the sense that we're we're talking about it and, you know, the biggest transfers in in Europe are part of such a pan-European community, this doesn't exist in a bubble. I'm very interested to to see the way it goes. And of course, clubs have felt they've had to be more creative because of financial fair play over the last little while. Now, the fact is, FFP has had a mini holiday because of COVID. But there's going to come that bit where UEFA are going to want to come back on it. Now, I, I think the, the really interesting question is once we get to the other side of this Juventus verdict, once we've got reasons, once we've got precedent, once we've got their grounds for appeal and all that sort of stuff... Do UEFA really want to stick the boot in on Juventus? Or do they think, well, Agnelli's not there anymore. Maybe it doesn't matter to us to the same extent. Because remember, he was one of the, not not just someone who was the architect of modern Juventus, but one of the would-be architects of, of the European Super League. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Let's talk about the Bundesliga now. Uh, of course, it's back and on good form. It's firing much more than any of the other leagues in Europe. Is Bring it on the, the goals, Dot, and bring well, on the goals. Is it the most exciting league in Europe at the moment? I guess there's a, a difference between exciting and satisfying, really, really, isn't there? There is. Because on, on the first weekend back last weekend, we got 41 goals uh, across the, the, the nine games, which is pretty remarkable it was especially it's remarkable goals per game or something uh, you're, you're in charge of the maths no, on this no, not, no, not, no, not, no, not me not actually you don't want to rely on me <laughs> but um, I thought we'd left the maths questions in, 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 in section one <laughs> but I, I think it was particularly remarkable given that the first game between um, Leipzig and, and Bayern arguably the two best teams in the division on the Friday night that re-kicked off um, the Bundesliga it was a 1-1 draw and it felt as if both teams were keeping a respectful distance, sizing mm. each other up. And then you get to the next day, you get Köln 7, Werder Bremen 1, you get Wolfsburg 6, Freiburg, who was second at the start of 2023, 0. So you, you get something quite remarkable. And then on the Sunday, the, the first game, you get, you get what? Let me, let me work this out. You get 12 goals in the two games. Between mate, between mate. Dortmund and Augsburg and um, Borussia Mönchengladbach and, and Bayer Leverkusen. But the Dortmund one, I think, is worth focusing on because we've since had a round of midweek matches in, in the Bundesliga. Dortmund have two wins out of two. You had the 4-3 win over Augsburg where they basically had to win the game four times because of their incredibly incompetent defending. And then um, Gio Reyna gets a latish winner in that. It gets an even later winner in the weekend against Mainz. They go goal down after two minutes, don't play particularly well and somehow manage to to win the game. Now, I think there's a difference between those two games. The, the main one, being the first one, has got Jude Bellingham in it and he absolutely runs the show. So the attacking part of Dortmund is a lot more functional. Um, at the start of the season, they bring in uh, Sally Uzjan, uh, defensive midfielder from Köln, uh, because they think with a proper anchor, you can let Bellingham off the leash. You can give him license to do whatever he wants. And we saw during the World Cup how incredibly dangerous he is. And we saw that against Augsburg last weekend. He was brilliant. Scored the opening goal, set up Reina's winner with an incredible reverse pass. It looked brilliant. Um, and he was suspended after getting a fifth booking in that game for the Mainz game. And it's all a little bit more clunky and laboured. But I think probably what, what you're asking here is 
Where is the pattern? The thing is, there is no pattern. <laughs> it's all just incredibly chaotic from the team, Nikki, who should be best equipped to challenge Bayern. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And I, and I wonder how that affects sort of the development of a young player like Bellingham, because I think there are there are some players who who thrive in in chaos. It's something I, I I've sort of said actually about Weston McKinney at Juventus sometimes I watch him I think he's a, he's what Americans would call a sandlot player he's someone who just sort of like actually I think he does his best when everything breaks down because mm. he's got that energy and 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 I guess um, initiative is the word I'm looking for where, where someone who's willing to take things on when it breaks down you're right I, I mean I think the fact that Bellingham is a really good leader is still a teenager he's not 20 until June yeah. of course is really underlined by the fact that everything around him is like a little bit crazy yeah, and I, I think like there's there's a certain sort of energy that some some players have. I would say Wayne Rooney had this as well when he was younger, and when he was sort of at his best. There's a sort of bully bullish willingness to just say, "Well, if you guys don't know what you're going to do, I'm going to do my thing, mm. and and you're going to dance to my tune." And I suppose he's able to do that in Germany in yeah. a way that he perhaps isn't able to do in other leagues. I'd have thought Jude Bellingham. If we're doing that, is it? Well, gonna... I, I I don't know. I think there's a lot of thriving in the chaos that suggests that he, he would be one of the best players in the Premier League. No, I, I don't. I, doubt I, that, I, don't I don't. I don't think that's overstating it. I, I don't doubt that. And apologies for interrupting you. Okay. Um, but I was thinking more about the sort of chaos of the league as such. You know, where mm. you have um, Bayern Munich. Mm. You know, at a point where they should be seriously challenged by Dortmund and the other contenders, they're not being. So there's a certain amount of chaos in that league. I, th I think it's interesting going back to that point of like um, Bayern not really being challenged. I mean, I think you look at the table and you think other teams are in it. Union Berlin, who are, are, on the other hand, exceptionally well-managed and organised, mm -hmm. are, are doing very well. Dortmund in, in, in fifth place are only five points behind Bayern. So it, it, it probably doesn't seem in a statistical sense that they're out of touch. That They are. You know, they're, they're, these teams are not going to catch Bayern, despite the fact that Bayern have dropped four points in these first two games. They needed an absolute rocket shot, brilliant goal from uh, Joshua Kimmich to save a point against Köln on Tuesday. And what really struck me in the time around that, like Kimmich said, oh, yeah, we, we, we lacked focus and intensity. They actually played pretty well in the second half of that, I, I would say. But it's felt to me when you've um, had Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director of Bayern, talking in the last couple of days, it feels like he's trying to provoke. Like he slagged off Serge Gnabry for going to uh, Paris Fashion Week. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, oh, it's ridiculous. It's totally unprofessional. It's like, He's having a day off. I think he's allowed to do what he likes on a day off. And he's, he, uh, Salahamazic's view was, oh, well, we didn't win. And, um, you, you know, you, you have to recover after a game rather than dashing away. Like Munich to Paris is, is, is not like going from London to Sydney. Mm. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a very subjective way of looking at the situation. It feels to me like he's trying to pick a fight so they don't get complacent. Mm. Because at the moment despite the fact there are goals everywhere. In fact, probably because there are loads of goals. 3.3 per game. Else. 3.3 per game. It's, it's a lot. It, it, I, I had it to feels, work out the maths. It feels like they have to say to themselves, like, come on, let's get it together and go and win this league by, by 10 points, which still to me feels like an inevitability. I, I, I want to ask Andy, if you're talking about lots of goals and, and you're talking about the gaps and, and them not being run down, Am I am I crazy to think that Wolfsburg could catch them? Because it's only seven points the gap, and Wolfsburg aren't just winning games. I was maybe maybe I'm throwing a team out of nowhere, but like they they, they won two games in the last four days, what eleven nil, and they've won they've scored twenty two goals across the last six games. Well, firstly, can I just say I, I appreciate the Guardian columnist solidarity <laughs> because I've actually <laughs> written about Have them you? for my midweek. <laughs> it's a surprise. Yeah. Um, what I, the Wolfsburg is happening. Uh, that's a question from Thomas. It's it's a really good question, I I think, from Nicky and Thomas, because um, they started the season really badly. Uh, Niko Kovac takes over after the the shambles, really, that was, was last season. And um, they win one of the first seven games and they lose four of them. And people are calling for Kovac to be binned off after that, that start to the season. Bearing in mind that the start to last season, Mark Van Bommel brought on on his debut as Wolfsburg coach a sub too many in a cup match and they got thrown out of the cup. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's as bad as, as, as all that. 
but Kovac is, is is nothing if not resourceful and tough and very demanding. He's had to deal with other situations. Uh, he fell out with Max Cruiser and he was never going to get on with Max Cruiser because Max Cruiser is about the magic, not about the fitness. Kovac really is about the fitness. He wants his team to be, you know, whip it ready. And um, he just very publicly binned him, not from the team, from the entire squad and says, you you have nothing to do with this this squad now. And, you know, Cruz is not one to take that line down. He's not one to be quiet. And Kovac knew that, but he dealt with it. Now, you think they haven't lost since September. Um, as Nicky says, six wins in a row. They've not conceded in five of those. In the two games since they've been back, 11 goals scored, none conceded. And beating Freiburg was a brilliant performance. They went and won 5-0 uh, Herter on Wednesday night, which, um, you know, that's I, I, I a, I a little different because Herter are absolutely dreadful at, at, at the moment. But what I think is really notable, if you go back to the last good Wolfsburg team, you've got a really real focal point up front and a really consistent goal scorer in Valve Hegghorst. <coughs> Excuse me. He doesn't need a lot of chances to score goals. They don't really have that at the moment, especially as Lucas Metcher, the older of the Metcher brothers who were produced by Manchester City's Academy. Um, he's been injured since November. He would have gone to the World Cup with Germany otherwise. And it, he's potentially a really good number nine for them, nine stroke ten. Um, so they've had to spread the goals around. They're really, really resourceful. Mm. But they've got great experience as well. You think of... It's a player uh, I really want to ask about. Please, oh, go Sorry, because you're talking about the goals. I know they've got, obviously, like, um, it's wind, isn't it? The teenager up front who's got yeah. some... Vin, sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested in this Patrick Vimmer, who mm. is, what, 21 years old. And I saw um, across Europe's big five leagues, the... Um, in, with this big chance creation per opta, mm. but the out of players with 500 plus minutes, he's one of only sort of three players in all of Europe's big five leagues to create more than one big more than one big chance per game. It's him, Kevin De Bruyne and Leo Messi, which is some company to be keeping. In that order. It's in that order. And, yes. <laughs> and the, the assist he gave um, to Vind on um, the other day where he does this sort of Rabona flick from, mm. from the edge of the area was outrageous. So I, he's, he's doing really, really well. Only, only 21 years old. And it, it's, it's funny, that stat, was something I don't know if you were at Wolfsburg's team lunch before the uh, Hertha game, but but all the all the players were were ragging him about right. that at, <laughs> at, at lunch, and then of course he goes on and lays on the opening goal in, mm. in that game, having got everything started by scoring a goal in in fifty nine seconds against against Freiburg, and I think they've got that really good mix at, at the moment. Um, and, and Kovac is really good at drilling teams, but I think you look at the experience they've got with. Uh, Cohen Castells with Maxi Arnold um, is still brilliant. I think people expected him to go to a, a higher level, a bigger club and be one of the real stars of German football. But, you know, he's going to go on and become their record appearance holder probably in the next month and a half. And um, Joshua Gilavogi, who wants to go to Stuttgart, they're not letting him go because Kovac is like, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a genie. I don't have to make people's wishes come true. We need to keep you. You're, you're important to us. And I think it's interesting because Gilavogi, Castells and um, Arnold are three of their top 10 appearance makers of all time. So you've got that experience and then you've got the younger players like Vin, like Vimmer and like the Metcher brothers who look as if they're going to go and do something in the future. That's why I think it's interesting them going and smacking Herter like that because they've been in Herter's place, like spending a load of money having absolutely no direction and idea. Whereas now they're being a little bit more reserved, sensible. When they're stable, they're much better. And I think that makes the difference. But it's the best run that they've had in the Bundesliga, those six wins in a row, since they won 10 in a row in the spring. And you were saying about them challenging Bayern, Nicky, when they went on to win the Bundesliga in 2009, when they had... Edin Dzeko and got a feature up front. Andy, you've coined this word, goldmongers. Um, I've searched in the dictionary, it's not there, but it's not a bad word. <laughs> it will be, word. it will be. Eventually it will be. But is this goal fest, if you like, for want of a better word, is it indicative of the weaker competition that Bayern are facing in in the Bundesliga, would you say, Nicky? I, I, I think it's... 
It's complicated, isn't it? I, I think because because I know this is something that Andy was sort of asking before on, on the chat. You know, is Serie A being more goal scored? Doesn't necessarily mean a weaker league, and it doesn't necessarily mean a weaker league. So goals can go up and go and come down without meaning anything. I think maybe it wouldn't be outrageous to suggest that the defending in the Bundesliga isn't always brilliant at the moment, but that doesn't make it less entertaining outrageous. to watch. <laughs> Let's have a look at La Liga now, where, as you would expect, the usual suspects are at the top of the league. Barcelona at the top, followed by Real Madrid. So what's new? Let's have a look instead, though, at the other end of La Liga. And, of course, Sevilla featured in our Game of the Week last week. You you, you must remember my Lord Byron uh, anecdotes with that. (laughs) And Cadiz lost uh, that match-up. So they're rock bottom, but... Uh, Sevilla potentially doing a bit better? Well, it's a really good question, I think, because um, two home wins in a row for Sevilla against uh, Getafe and Cadiz. And um, you're right, that they really pulled this one out of the fire right at the end. Ivan Rakitic penalty um, coming into the last minute. Um, but they've looked so nervous in both those teams, in both those games. And what that says to me is... One of Sevilla's biggest problems, and my gosh, they have got a lot of problems. Because bear in mind, at this point last season, they were signing Anthony Martial on loan from Manchester United with a view to really pushing Real Madrid for the league. That's how far they have fallen. And they were reliant on in, Anthony Martial. That time, but... And it didn't work. Of course it, not. it didn't work. He didn't, sc- he, he didn't score a single goal. Mm. Um, but, I mean, there, there were other issues with, with, with them. I guess a lot of people didn't realise exactly how deep those issues were. And you look at them now, I think the, the the biggest problem, as we were saying, as they try and battle relegation, and they are in a genuine relegation fight, there's no doubt about that, has been shown in the, in those last two games. Because as we've, we've said, that they have got six points from those last two home games in La Liga, but they have, they do not look like a team that's got that much resolve. Uh, They're just not built for a relegation battle. The squad has not been built for a relegation battle. So they're not only in an unfavourable situation, they're in an unfavourable situation that you could argue that this current set of players are not really equipped to deal with. Now, I suspect that a huge part of that, well, a huge part of that is why Jorge Sampaoli has been strongly rumoured to be considering jacking it in again already. Um, around Seville and um, in, the, in the local media there. And when we look at Monchi, and I'm really interested, Nicky, to get an Italian perspective on him. Monchi has had, in his first spell at Sevilla, had extremely successful periods and fallow periods. This could be the fallow period to end them all because the sort of players they've gone around and signed. I mean, you look at the start of the season and it felt like they had a very young defence and a very old forward line, which is really the reverse of, of what you want. And you look at some of those big signings that have been made that haven't really come off. Rakitic, okay, he cares, but he's passed his best. Isco, a deal that went so badly that and was not cheap in wages, by the way, that they've already binned him off. They've cancelled his contract less than six months into it. Where is Monchi at? And do you think he's still affected by the Roma experience. Yeah, it, it it definitely felt like his his time at Roma was perceived as more bad than good. Um I don't think it was sort of perceived as as without merits at all because of Do you course, think he was made to carry his carry the can for a lot of the stuff that was wrong on his way out the door? Yeah, I mean I I think Roma sort of went through quite a long um period of, of feeling a bit rudderless and I think that's one of the many reasons why Mourinho is so popular now is, is sort of this force of character to, to bring everything together again yeah. not that things weren't already going better under Fonseca because they were um, but he, he did have some pretty big missteps I mean he, he was the one who signed to Javier Pastore to a big contract that got sort of became a big millstone around mm. the club for a while Alisson goes out the door and Robin Olsen gets brought in who ends up being this horrendously sort of error prone keeper there were quite a few signings that even ones that people were quite excited about that didn't really pan out, just in Cliver um, being another one. And 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 yet there were also some things he did that were considered at the time to be massive coup. I mean, he sent Raja Nangalan, aged 
mid-30s out the door to Inter and got Nicolò Zagnolo, this great sort of future talent in the, in the opposite direction. And Zagnolo's his own story that we could get into, um, but but certainly that was a really sort of smart piece of business for, for the sort of long-term planning point of view. So I think he left a mixed legacy at, at, at Roma, but certainly when he arrived there was this perception of, oh, we've got the transfer wizard. We've got the guy who knows how to do all the best deals in Europe. And I think that sheen came off a little bit then, certainly. Yeah, the stats don't lie, do they? Oh, sometimes they do. But nevertheless, uh, 18 points out of 18 games this season, only the fourth victory for Sevilla compared with 38 points from 18 games last season. He's, he's been Halfway getting through. some sort of kickback on his behaviour as well, hasn't he, Monchi? Monchi. From, from sort of going down to the, the touchline and berating referees and, and being a bit more yeah it's 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 like uh Jorge Valdano meltdown era at Real Madrid a, a, a little bit and um I think it's indicative of the sort of status he has at the club because of course he was he was there for 20 years before going in in, in the first place that he feels he has to lead from the front I mean when Julian Lopetegui was in the process of, of being binned earlier in the season it was him who went down on the pitch and presented him to the fans at full time to say, you know, this, this is your guy. And even though he's going, let's give him respect for what, what he's actually done for the club, which almost again was an omission of his own failure. Mm. I mean, I wonder if this needed to be a slightly busier transfer window for Sevilla to get themselves into a position where they were safe. Look, they've, they've got the players to get out of it, but I th- I think they'll be struggling for a, for a bit more before they do get out of it. I don't I don't think it's an open and shut case by any it's any not, stretch of the imagination in terms of them getting away from relegation. And it's not a shut transfer window just yet. No, it's not. Not just yet. Before we get onto the game of the week, though, there's a great question here from Jack. And by the way, we do love uh, your correspondence, so you can get hold of us on social media anytime during the course of the week at Football Ramble at Dotton Added Bio at Nikki Bandini and at Andy Brassel. This from Jack. Uh, do you have suggestions for a team to watch on a weekend with friends? Can be anywhere in Europe. Fascinating question because everybody, you know, loves European football, but who do you follow? How, how do you get passionate? What would you recommend, Nikki? Oh, it's, it's such a difficult question because, like, what are you looking for? Um, are you looking for uh, a fun weekend trip? Because I I always tell everyone to go to Bologna and watch a game because I love the stadium and I love the city. I think it's a wonderful place to go and eat for a weekend. Like you'll have a good time. Right now, Bologna are a mid-table side who aren't necessarily the most sort of brilliant to watch in all of Serie A. Um, perhaps... That's what you want, isn't it? You want mid-table, don't yeah. you? Because you don't have to invest as much emotion and passion. <laughs> no, that's what you want. No, you? but it's, it's about the all-round experience, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, straight away, I, I always say Marseille first for the atmosphere. Uh, the, the 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 buzz of the city. We've just been talking about Sevilla, haven't we? Sevilla or Betis. I mean, it's an incredible city, great food. And you know what? Even if the football is not the best at Sevilla at the moment, whichever game you go to, it doesn't even have to be a big game. The bit where they play the anthem at the beginning and then they kill the music and the fans carry on singing it, I mean, the game doesn't even matter after that. It's amazing. I think for the same reason, almost off the back of that, and teams have just been talking about right now, go watch Roma in a full stadium. Because the Stadio Mm. Olimpico, when it's full, when it's on, is one of those stadiums that can really like, I I think it's it's shockingly loud when it's full. I remember watching the second leg of their Champions League um, semi-final against Liverpool um, and sat next to Andy Hunter from The Guardian, who has covered Liverpool for many, many years. And of course, Liverpool thumped him in the, in, the, in the leg at Anfield and him turning to me and saying, God, this is even louder than Anfield. And I thought, that's something to hear from someone who is a correspondent who covers Liverpool. So Rome, when it's like this, when it's on, is is somewhere special to watch a game as well. And but it's all of it, isn't it? It's the walk up to the stadium yeah. when you're going amongst the sort of stone gladiators yes. and all the rest of it. It's brilliant. May I recommend Hammerby? In Stockholm. That's a great choice. South. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, <laughs> you wait till you hear the anthem. When they start singing that, the hairs on the back of your neck go up. You know, just today, I am strong, which was a anthem to die for, really. It's Surda Stadium in uh, Stockholm as well. Green and whites, green and whites. Make sure you wear green. So, uh, a football game of the week recommendation from both of you. Do you have one? Yeah, I guess. Well, I'll go straight 
back to Roma again. Napoli Roma on Sunday night is the Why game not? of the week in Serie A. It's a huge game. Roma, as we've been talking about, are, are playing really well at the moment. They're fighting for a Champions League place. Napoli, of course, running away with things at the top of Serie A. The last sort of big challenge they were supposed to face was Juventus and they beat them 5-1. So either it'll be a repeat of just being starstruck by how good they are or maybe Roma with their sort of not always the most sort of uh, expansive game plan but maybe the canniness of them can can throw a spanner in the works for Napoli. What would Mr Mourinho suggest as a food pairing? Something to eat during the halftime? Well, birthday cake, evidently. Well, yeah, obviously. I don't know what shows they would, would really. I'm now thinking about the sort of carefully curated social media pictures of him sort of sat on, on the floor eating out of a box after games. <laughs> Honestly, what was in my head for this game because I knew you were going to ask me and I think this is not necessarily really even a Sunday night meal for most people in Italy but I was thinking Sunday night when I'm going to be at home wanting to watch the game and it's cold outside uh, frittata di macaroni which is Ooh. just frying up pasta with an egg to make it into a, a frittata basically. Very Neapolitan traditional thing to have um, and it's a great way to get rid of all your bits of pasta at the end of a bag where you haven't got quite enough for a, a proper pasta proper dish. Meal. You throw it you throw it together and, and you fry it up and it's a nice, hearty, warm winter meal. You're going to have to work hard to beat that one because that's easy to make. <laughs> I'm still shocked that we didn't get a Neapolitan pizza. <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti like would be disgusted. I feel like I've done that before. Yeah, for a reason. Okay. <laughs> it keeps getting done again for a reason. Do it again and again. Never a bad choice. Fair point. Um, I'm going to go for uh, Sunday night. Um, Portuguese League Cup, Tassa de Liga final um, between uh, Sporting and Porto. Now, this is often the final of, 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 of the, 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 the Tassa de Liga. It's the fourth consecutive final that Sporting have, have, have been in. Um, they're already out of the title race. They are looking... It's, it's looking hard for them in the Champions League race because Braga are playing so well at the moment and their star Vitinha are playing so well at the, the, the moment as well. So um, it feels like more is riding on this for Sporting than Porto from the outside. However... Sergio Conceição, the fact they couldn't win this cup has done his head in so much. He actually offered to resign after they lost one of the finals to Sporting on on, on penalties. So this this means a hell of a lot to him as well. He's a combustible guy. Um, it, it's a, the climax of the way they play the Tasta Liga is like a final four where they play in in one venue. They play semi-finals on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then final at the weekend, which I, I particularly like. I think it's a a really good way of regenerating a competition that. You know, the League Cup has been marginalised or in, in the case of France, actually, actually binned off as, as as well when we have thicker and thicker schedules all, all, all the time. But I, I think this will be super worth watching. Also, for Spurs fans who are hoping that Sporting sign Pedro Porro to um, fill up their problem position of, of, of right wing back, um, the latest talk in Portugal as we go to air is, as we record, is that um, he will be allowed to play this one last game and go out in style before he goes to N17. So a, a lot going on there. I think for a big game, you've got to have a big meal. Go for back of the yellow bash. I don't know how to make it, deliver it. Obviously, there are 400 <laughs> different ways of doing back of the yellow, um, salted cod in Portugal. This, in my view, is the best. Order it and find out why. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.